Our speaker this hour is John Moore. John is a native of Dripping Springs, Texas, and he has served as a minister of the gospel for over 30 years, uh, most notably, I guess, before he came here to Bear Valley at Dripping Springs, where he was uh, raised as the minister there. And he has been involved in a variety of ministries and a variety of works throughout the years. Um, if you are... Um, um, uh, Someone who studied by WVBS, he has several uh, lessons on there uh, and online. He's someone who is uh, in charge of the Bible Lands Passages Tours that uh, he and Carl, I don't know how many years y'all been doing that, going on trips over to Israel, but um, one of the things that you've probably already heard us talk about here is, is the possibility of your going with the Bear Valley Bible Institute with one of those trips. And uh, beyond this lengthy resume, that's very impressive that John has. I can tell you one of the things that uh, helped me to grow to love a man that I, I loved anyway even more was our two weeks that we spent with him uh, over in Israel. He and his wife Carla you spend that much time with someone and you really get to see the heart of an individual. And uh, what I can tell you most about John is that he's a man of God. And uh, he, he is a minister in the truest sense of the word in that he cares for others above himself. Um, he loves the Lord and wants to share his message with others. Uh, he and his wife, Carla, uh, are some of the greatest examples that Melody have in our lives and we're thankful for them. And one of the things we're studying for 1 Corinthians through this weekend, one of the things that Paul will mention in chapter 16 is about those who refreshed his spirit. Well, John and Carla are those who refresh your spirit every time that you're around them. We love them dearly. Uh, they have three sons and they have four grandchildren. And if you want to see them, I'm sure he has plenty of pictures on his phone he'll show you later. But uh, we love him dearly and always feel blessed every time we get to hear him teach God's word. So we know you're in for a treat today. So, brother, preach the word. Thanks, Corey. Um, feelings very mutual, by the way, brother. Appreciate you and Melody. It is uh, it's so good to be before you guys, and I'm glad that you're here. Um, just to spend a few moments talking about something that's really, really relevant. But uh, you mentioned I have four grandchildren, and I'm sure you have a hard time believing that, right? <laughs> I don't look nearly old enough to be a grandpa. That's funny. Okay, all right. Just saying if you're there, just saying if you're there. All right, before we get started, uh, it kind of has a, a way to work its way into the lesson here. Uh, I want to share something with you. And uh, Corey mentioned that we go to the Bible Lands, and we put together a series of videos uh, about the Bible Lands and about building up your faith. It's called Bible Land Passages, and you can go to BibleLandPassages.org. Not right now, but you can go there later. And uh, check out those videos. we got some new stuff. But some of the things we've discovered there and found there are some broken pieces of pottery. This is really old stuff, man. I'm telling you, like 7th, 8th century B.C. So don't drop it when it comes to you, okay? If you drop it, you got to pay for it. I'm kidding. It's okay. I can get another one, all right? So, but I want you to look at it because it's really old. And uh, it, it tells some stories. Uh, some of these came from places like where people think that maybe David lived some of this uh, and worked and, and did some of his uh, travels. Some of this came from um, places like in Shiloh where the tabernacle once stood. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, these are really old. Y'all pass those around and kind of be looking at them during the, you know, during the session and 
and then we'll come back to them uh, a little later on. But I wanted you to see that because indeed the Bible lands are real and where people walked, as you read about in the Bible, they're real. And we're going to make a connection here in just a moment, okay? All right, so how do we help people who are depressed? Well, the first thing I want you to realize is this, that feeling depressed can be absolutely normal. Now, maybe you've had a friend that has been diagnosed by a psychiatrist or a doctor or whatever that has been diagnosed with depression. Maybe you've heard someone say, I'm just feeling depressed. And that was after their favorite team, you know, lost a basketball game or a football game or something like that. So it's really kind of confusing, isn't it? When our friends say, man, I'm depressed. Is it that their doctor said that or is it just something that we say? So it's all over the board, isn't it? Well, in any of those situations, what can we do? And number one, I want you to understand that God gave us a heart and that there are a lot of things going out in this world that can really make us sad. And that's a part of being depressed is a feeling of sadness, melancholy, despair, and so forth. Uh, you guys mind telling me just for a moment what is it that makes you sad? What's sad about what's going on in our world? Anybody want to volunteer? Yes, sir. I something that kind of makes me sad is all like all the hate that is going out to like um like just the hate that everyone's been receiving like uh, the uh, church has been receiving a lot of hate people who are not vaccinated have been receiving a lot of hate. Um, and it's just not right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yes, sir. Sadness of how stu- stupid some people are and how, like, they're bringing this country that was once a very godly country down to reduce of, like, gay wolfness and stuff like that. Okay, so there's a lot of messages going on out there and things that are happening that kind of make us feel sad about that they're different from what they used to be. Okay, good. Yes. I would say something that uh, is sad would be the fact that so many people have lost family members, especially over this past year and a half due to COVID, and the fact that if they may be in other countries, like you can't go and see them one last time before they get buried so soon underground. Okay. Yeah, that is really sad. I mean, there's so many things. Anybody else? Thank you for sharing that. <coughs> lose sort of a sense of lose sight of a sense of purpose or don't feel like I had a role I need to play. It's easy to feel for them. Okay. And then in all of this, and a part of why I wanted some of you to share some of this is because sometimes we can feel alone and uh, we feel like maybe we're the only ones experiencing that or we don't know that when it comes to feeling depressed that it can include a whole lot of different things. But I want you to understand, and maybe something that we can kind of help communicate to our friends is that, you know what? It's only natural to to feel sad at times. It's natural to feel depressed. Jesus experienced great mental anguish when he was in Gethsemane. Now, what does the Bible say that when he was praying came off of his forehead? Huh? Yeah, sweat like drops of blood. In fact, that's an actual medically documented process of when the capillaries break open 
uh, into the sweat glands and uh, you have this blood mingled with sweat. It's, uh, it's a very rare thing, but it can happen under great times of distress. And so Jesus was in this mental anguish and he was concerned about the whole world and about what was going to lie before him. Uh, the Apostle Paul, we've been studying from the book of Corinthians. And can anybody tell me what you maybe know or have heard maybe this weekend about the church at Corinth, about problems? Uh, he was like sad for the church in Corinth. Okay. And he had that as you called many times, thorn in his side. Okay. Yeah, so there were lots of problems. He had some physical issues, maybe, if that's is what the thorn in the flesh was. Good, very good. So, yeah, there was division, there was ill will, there was jealousy, and that was all going on in the church. So sometimes there are problems in the church, and that can be depressing. That can be really difficult to overcome. But Paul himself, the Apostle Paul, had some anxiety and hurt and feelings of sadness and concern about what was going on. Anybody know about the story of Elijah, the great prophet mentioned in 1 Kings 17 and following? In one of his greatest victories on Mount... Did I know Mount Mount Carmel, right? Carmel. Yep, there he is. On top of Mount Carmel, he defeats the prophets of Baal. So they show who truly is the one true living God. It's not Baal, it's Jehovah God. And right after that, Jezebel, she's going to try to kill Elijah, so he has to run away out into the wilderness. And he goes out into the wilderness, and he stops eating, and he's out there away from everything. He goes inside of the cave, he isolates himself, and does anybody remember what he says when he's there? That he was like the last one left. Man, I, this is a good, smart group of young people right here. They know their Bible. It's good. I'm the only one, right? Have you ever felt like that? And by the way, was he the only one? <laughs> no, God said there are still 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to bed. Sometimes when we're feeling depressed, we can think things that aren't necessarily true about ourselves, about God, about you know other people. But what I want you to remember is that there are friends of ours all around us, maybe sometimes we might experience it, that are experiencing feelings of melancholy sadness. Maybe they're withdrawing, they're isolated, they, you know, they quit being involved in things they used to be involved in. Maybe they're not nearly as active as they once were. Maybe they just begin to cry a lot. We need to take notice of those things in our friends. And see if maybe there's a difference in their personality or, or mood changes that are occurring and begin to ask some questions. And if we do, let's recognize that, you know what, God made us with emotions and we're human beings. And sometimes there are things that are just really sad and that weigh on us extremely, very heavily. Well, that's number one that I want us to remember. Well, as we think about this, what is one of the biggest reasons this is going to be very important for us to understand how we can help our friends. What's one of the biggest reasons why youth, young people, can become depressed? You like? I'd say a big thing that can make people become depressed is um, like, like workload or like school, like a lot of uh, school load. Okay. 
Sure, sure. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, family problems, like your parents go through divorce or stuff like that. Okay. So yeah, lots of family problems. Anybody else? Good. Lots of social pressure, desire to fit in. I think that's one of the biggest ones, right? And certainly, when things aren't going well at the home, right, John? Then we end up feeling like, well, where do I fit in? Where can I find a safe haven? In fact, let me just tell you, not feeling wanted, feelings of worthlessness is one of the biggest reasons why people start down this cycle of feeling as though they're sad, distraught, despair, what's life about, where am I going, what am I doing here? We need to understand just how important this is and the role that we can play in a very sort of non-direct way in helping our friends. And the thing is, sometimes people are pressing, we may not even know it. And you can have a huge impact on the lives of others by just understanding this and doing something we're going to talk about in just a moment. Okay? Now, I want to share with you uh, something right here. Number two, and that is that you can make a huge difference in the lives of others just by doing some of the things we're going to talk about here in just a moment, but a lot of it has to do with just living the Christian life. By just incorporating into our lives some of the things that God has told us to do, you can help people, and maybe not even knowing it, you can help people to overcome some of the depression, anxiety that they're struggling with in their lives. Here's a kid. He's no longer a kid. He's actually in his kind of mid-20s to late-20s now. But at the age of 14, he actually started a, a, a club that he called the No Cussing Club. And he, and he was hard to believe what he did, but in 2008, he actually got a citywide ordinance passed in South Pasadena uh, to eliminate cussing. It's kind of about 20,000 people. I mean, I was amazed at what a 14-year-old was able to do in terms of getting a city council to pass an ordinance. They put up signs in the community about no profanity and about you know being, being uh, cautious and careful about what you say. Well, the interesting thing is, after thinking about all the things that he ended up doing, appearing on the Dr. Phil show, he interviewed, he was interviewed by the former American Idol host, uh, Ryan Seacrest. He made the news on every major television network during that time. But guess what? He became one of the most bullied kids in the world. The stuff he was receiving on Facebook and other you know, media outlet and the emails and messages and stuff. I mean, you talk about a kid that could possibly have gotten really down and depressed about it all. He didn't. I'm sure he had his moments, though, of course. And he struggled with that. But you know what he ended up doing? He ended up creating a whole sort of institution that goes and speaks to young people's groups and he even writes music and he does stuff to try to encourage and, and uplift people. And uh, he also was, as a, as a believer, is faith-based, not a New Testament Christian, but nevertheless, he's doing a lot of powerful things. And what I want you to understand, number two again today, number one, that we all struggle, and so many more than others, it's a normal thing. But number two, understand the power that you have to shape 
and to transform lives. The power that you have to influence people and to help them for good. Something as little as accepting them and including them and encouraging them. Okay? So what do we do when we're thinking about this world that we live in and all the struggles and some of the things you identified with or spoke about just a moment ago, and I think, well, how can I make a difference? Can I make a difference? You absolutely can. And I'd love to see more young people, those in the church especially, who are maybe creating websites and, and resources and maybe some way to connect people to just send out this message that says there are people that care. And above all, God cares and He loves and He's interested in you. Now, in Hebrews chapter 3, 12 through 13, I want us to read this. So who has that? Eli, do you have that one or do you have the other one? Hebrews 3. All right, Eli has Hebrews 3. Go ahead. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily. Wow, it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness uh-huh. of sin. Okay, so exhort one another. How often? Daily, every day. Exhort means to encourage, to lift up, and to build up. Anybody got any ideas, by the way, how you can exhort and encourage your friends? Any ideas? Compliment them. All right, you can compliment them. Good. What does that say when you compliment somebody? What does it say to that other person? They're noticed. They're noticed. Yeah, they're noticed. Very good. You have Eli? Um, like another way would be like... Eli's going to be in the Bear Valley Bible School Institute in just a few years. We can't really wait to get him. All right, go um, Another way would be like uh, inviting them to church activities. Okay, yeah. Including them. Absolutely. That's one of the things we can do to exhort. Yes, ma'am? Um, just telling them that you see that they have progress and you small. Just... Uh, like that, yeah. See, you see something that they're doing that's, you know, and when, when, when that happens and somebody notices that in us, doesn't that make us feel good and, and feel like we're worth something? Yes, sir. Um, trying to keep someone, trying to keep them, like, active, like, doing just anything, really, because a lot of times, like, my friend that I'm taking, like, that I'm listening to this for, he basically what he does is he stays up till midnight playing on his PlayStation and during the day when everybody's up. Are you adults listening to this back there? <laughs> keeping them active, keeping them as a friend that stays up, you know, so many things that we get involved in that just that actually tire our body and tire our mind and we're absorbed in other stuff that can actually be debilitating emotionally and psychologically and if we need to keep them physically active and doing things in a proactive way. Out of the mouth of babes, we're hearing some positive and awesome things that we need to think about in being proactive to help our friend. It doesn't, you know, a lot of times we think, well, if I'm going to help, you know, my uh, my friend who's dealing with depression, then i got to have a, a master's degree in psychology or something like that. And certainly we appreciate people in the medical profession and the psychiatric profession. Obviously, there could be a lot of good. But don't forget the power that you have 
to help someone. You don't have to have those degrees to help someone who is going through depression. You guys can do it. You guys can do it. And especially young people. Let me tell you, for older people, like me, remember the one with the grandkids, right? When you take an interest in me and you say, hi, John, man, that just lights up my day, you know? Wow, they, they notice who I am. They know who I am. That's pretty awesome. All right. Ephesians. Jacob, read uh, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. All right. That, what, what does that say in many other passages about this thing right inside my mouth? What does it say? Or has the power to destroy or build them up. This little thing, right? You say, what can I do? How smart am I? What do I have? I don't have any money. I don't have a car. I, what? doesn't matter, but you've got this right here. And that goes a long way in helping your friends. Because what we say can shape, it can form, it can encourage. And the Bible writer speaks a lot about it. The soft answer turns away wrath. The grievous words stir up anger. A wholesome tongue is like a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Wow. Many passages that, that remind us of that. So don't forget, you've got a lot of power. Now, the third thing is, in using that power, think about the encouragement element involved in all this. I want all of you today to think about being a Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Remember Barnabas? Mm-hmm. One of the great leaders mentioned in Scripture. Of course, as we read through the book of Acts, you can turn and see something about him. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. You got your Bibles? Look over there for just a moment. And I want you to underline something in your Bibles. What can I do? And by the way, when I'm doing something to help other people, you think that has any impact on yourself? I just feel good, right, to know that we're doing something to help others. All right, so in Acts 4, verse 36, someone read that for us. Who has that? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Joseph believed by and a separate and separate by birth the one uh, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which was translated son of encouragement. Okay, son of encouragement. Man, all of us can be that, and you guys can be that. All you adults sitting back there need to understand the power of what God is allowing us to be through His Spirit, through the Word that He's given us, that we ourselves can be a Barnabas. And to be a Barnabas, the first thing to help people who are dealing with depression is be an encourager, be a helper. Look, His name implies something. The the title that is given to Him. Encouragement. Consolation is translated in some scriptures. You know what Greek word is there? It is the Greek word, listen to it, paraklesis, or the paraclete, which often gets translated as the Holy Spirit at times. And that word paraklesis comes from two words. You probably can hear one of them for sure, para, para. What's the word para? Para, any English words that sound like para? Parallel? Periscope. Periscope. All right, it's a little different word, but the idea sounds like it, doesn't it? Parallel, if something is parallel, 
You have one line and something comes alongside of it, doesn't it? It's parallel. Paraklesis, to call. To call alongside of. To call alongside of. There's a whole lot of interesting things related to that with regard to the Spirit and what Jesus promised and seeing the Spirit. But this word paraklesis actually means to call alongside of. And when we do that, like maybe if you were put into a courtroom setting, someone had charged you with a crime that you didn't commit, and oh man, the anxiety and the feelings of depression that might go along with that. So you might hire an attorney to come and stand by your side to help you in that courtroom setting because they know all the things about the law. They know the proper protocol and procedures in the courtroom and so forth. And they're smart and they know how to make argumentation and all the rights and privileges that you do and don't have and so forth. And you want them to be by your side to help you, right? That's the same word used here to refer to Barnabas, that he's someone that could have come by alongside of someone else to help them to comfort them, to strengthen them through various trials and difficulties. Man, that could be said of you. You could be a Barnabas. You could be a son of encouragement to walk alongside of others, calling attention. How do we do that? Some of you have already said it. Did y'all look at my PowerPoint ahead of time? That's pretty awesome, man. How do we do that? You call attention to their good qualities. You listen. You rejoice with those who... Finish it. Rejoice. Now finish this. And we weep with those who... Wow. One of the best things you can do in helping your friend is that they're weeping. Is to just sit beside them and weep with them. Listen to them. So powerful. Tell you that one thing goes a long ways. You know, I had to take a, a class in college a number of years ago on various uh, therapeutic uh, theories and how to help people. And one of the ones that was very popular when I was in school was called Rogerian theory. A guy named Carl Rogers. And, and interestingly enough, he would just sit and listen to people. He didn't say a whole lot. He would sometimes just sort of, you know, summarize what they're saying. And although there's a lot more, obviously, to his counseling process than just that, but that one element of alone, of listening and being empathic or showing empathy, drew a lot of people to his counseling class. And why do you think that is? Why people, why were they drawn to him? Because people were somewhere happy listening to him. And when, when we find someone that is willing to listen to us, it's very self-affirming. It makes us feel like somebody cares, doesn't it? And that's something that every one of you, adults and young people alike, need to understand the power of listening. Hearing people's stories and just being there to say by your presence that I care. You can be a Barnabas when you listen in just that way, when you're encouraged. Here's another thing that made Barnabas such an encouragement. 
in a difficult situation. He made it easy for people to be accepted by others. Acts chapter 9, verse 26 tells the story of the Apostle Paul when he had become a Christian and he went to Antioch and he uh, went up to Tarsus. And, and when he first became a Christian and went to some of these places, what do you think Paul had a problem with? First of all, tell me, what was Paul doing before he became a Christian? Does anybody know? I've been ignoring you ladies over there. You tell me, what was Paul doing before he became a Christian? Does anybody remember? Yes, he was killing them. He was killing Christians. So when he becomes a Christian and he goes to a new congregation to work, what do you think the people of that congregation were thinking? You know Is he going to kill us? <laughs> they were a little afraid of this guy, Paul. You know, they were standing off from him. Who is he? He's different from us. I don't know if we can trust him. Now, the text doesn't say anything about Paul being depressed as a result of that, but I can imagine as a human being it must have been frustrating. And I certainly know that in youth groups that happens, doesn't it? Somebody comes in and maybe they're dressed a little differently than us, they look a little differently than us, or they're quiet, you don't know anybody, and you're isolated from the group. Now that never happens to adults <laughs> in, in the congregation. Yeah, we know it does, doesn't it? All the time, people come into our groups, come to our assembly, come to our youth meetings, and maybe they act a little differently something wrong why, why, why are they why that way or maybe they might have an unusual laugh or maybe they might have something that just sort of is different about them that doesn't fit with the rest of us and, and maybe they feel isolated and different what we can do to help is to take notice and do what Barnabas did and he took him Paul around and he said hey, I want you to meet Paul he's a good man and I'm I tell you I'm, I'm telling you that he's a good guy I trust him. He made it easy for Paul to be accepted when others were afraid of him. And I have seen that. You probably have to play out time and time again of stories of maybe somebody sitting at the lunchroom table at the school by themselves or maybe the youth devotional. And somebody like a Garrett Sawyer has got up and he walked over. I've seen him do this. And he goes over and he starts talking to that person. <coughs> Nobody else was talking to him. And before long, they say, oh, there's Garrett over there. I know Garrett. And then they go over there and they sit next to Garrett. And as a result, they get to know, how do you think that that person who was alone is going to be made to feel as a result of that? Now, what we don't realize and understand is that sometimes when people are alone, they're isolated like that, they, they can be depressed. There can be things going on in their life that they you know, just don't feel like getting up and communicating with others. And so understand by you making it easy for them to be accepted by others, you're helping to eliminate one of the things that's brought on some of the depression and the sadness and the melancholy. Because we all want to be accepted. We all want to be affirmed. We all want to be liked. Isn't that true? By, by and large, don't we all want to be and feel as though our life is worth something? And a lot of that comes from the things that are going on around us and our friends and so forth. But of course, ultimately, we want people to get to the point where they know that there's someone most important all oh, that not only likes them but loves them. Who's that? Our Heavenly Father. Love all. Loves them. 
and sets cares about them. So there's another thing that we can do to be a Barnabas in helping our friends. See the good when others might see the bad. See the good when others might see the bad. This is the story of when John Mark had gone on a mission trip with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, and evidently John made a mistake. There was, we don't know all that we'd like to know, but he turned back and he left the missionary trip early, and he went back, and Paul was not happy about that. But then later on when they got ready to go on the second missionary tour, and they got ready to go, Paul didn't want to take John Mark, right? But Barnabas said, I'm going to take it. He saw something good in John Mark when others saw something bad. And you can make a difference in people's lives. You can make a difference in the lives of your friends when maybe others are making fun of them or saying things about them or they look differently and so forth. And I'm going to tell you, uh, one of the things that I didn't put up here, let's see if I did or not. No, I'll go back to this and look at this. I want to show you this picture here. Is it here? Yes. Right here, a lot of a lot of our friends are struggling because the world says if you're a value, you've got to look a certain way. We need to know that there are a lot of kids that are hurting right now because they don't fit the mold of what the world says you ought to look like. Pay attention to that and be aware of these young people, okay? Now then, so we see the good, and others might see the bad. Now, what's the pottery all about, okay? What's the pottery all about? What in the world about broken pottery in here? You know where pottery comes from? Yeah, from, from the mud and this, you know, the special clay that people mix together. And uh, even in the ancient world especially, they would mix a lot of this by stepping on it and with their feet and you know, trample it down and mix together some of the, the, maybe the granulars that they put in there, the bitumen that they call it. And then they take that and someone can take it and mold it and shape it. That's called influence. The influence you are exerting on something that is pliable and moldable. And what I want all of you to know, and you think about those pieces of pottery that went around, somebody many years ago took that and they began to push on it and mold it. It was once mud that had been trampled on, but somebody, a craftsman, took it and they took care with it and they molded it into those little jar handles that you saw and other pieces. It's amazing what can happen. And what I'm saying to you is that you need to remember that you can do the same thing in shaping hearts. But something as little as letting your light shine before you, showing an open, positive regard toward others and helping them to see that they're cared about. Okay? So, all right, what do we do then when they ask for help and they come to us specifically and they say, can you help me? I'm feeling really depressed. Well, what do you do in those situations? All right, quickly, because we're running out of time then, here's what we do. First thing is we establish a connection. We show a lot of interest and compassion, just like we've been talking about. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus our Lord. What was Jesus like? He was a servant. 
And if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to be willing to serve. And one of the ways that we can serve is by listening and showing our love toward others. We love God so much because He first loved us. If we show and demonstrate that love in terms of actions and gifts and kindness and interest and listening, oh, now, don't overreact or be judgmental when you maybe hear about what it is that's causing their problems or that they say that they've been, that they're depressed or maybe they've gotten a diagnosis or something like that. Show them compassion and connection. Now, I want to mention this to you guys, especially be careful about the hugs. I know, especially I come from a family of huggers and uh, it's real easy to want to demonstrate that. But sometimes, guys, you want to reach out and comfort this young lady and that might make her feel uncomfortable. It also might communicate a message that you didn't intend to communicate. I have a friend of mine one time that was very demonstrative in his hugs like that with the girls and when they were sad and so forth. And one girl thought, well, that, that means he loves me. He wants to date me. He's going to marry me, you know. And she kind of took it the wrong way. So, again, it's kind of a, a real difficult thing because I know we're not cold people and so forth. But on the other hand, watch out about that. What that might communicate. And don't make them feel uncomfortable. Maybe every once in a while at the end, a little side hug or something like that might be appropriate. But be careful about that. But you do want to establish a connection. You, you definitely want to be a good listener. Be a good listener. Listen to, now notice, their story. What's the temptation that we all have when maybe someone's talking to us about their problems? You want to, like, tell them Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, John, how are you doing? Well, I was in the hospital the other day. Oh, well, I remember the time I was in the hospital, you know? And, oh, man, the doctor came and he hurt my leg and I was so bad. And, and we, we feel like we're trying to, and that's a good thing. But you ever been in that situation where someone asked you, but then it all went toward what they had done and what happened to them? Listen to their story. And then pick up on metaphors that they're using. I had a girl one time tell us, man, John, I just, I just feel like my life is like a mirror that's been broken into a thousand pieces. Well, one of the questions they asked, well, what, what was it that broke the mirror? Was there something that happened that just recently broke that mirror? Oh, well, yeah, let me tell you the things that have been breaking the mirror. Okay. So sometimes we can just be a good listener and only ask questions to try to better understand and to further the discussion. Then affirm their feelings. Affirm their feelings and empower them through positive thinking. Sometimes a good thing to say is this. After they tell you all these things and you go, wow, man, Joe, that, you've been through a lot, haven't you? And yet... You're still doing this and this. I, that is, you're amazing. And again, I'm not trying to say that you make up something that's false or whatever, but sometimes people need to see their circumstance without, you know, you telling them, just think positively. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying after everything they tell you, wow, that that's pretty awesome that you have been able to endure all that. And you're wanting to come and talk to me. I'm so proud that you wanted to open up and talk to somebody else. And it is amazing to think about what people have survived and what they've endured. So affirm their feelings. Don't say you shouldn't feel that way. 
Sometimes people can't help but feeling the way that they feel. So then ask them about the relationship with God, not shaming them, of course. But ultimately what we want to get people to see and all of us to see is that God is the answer. That following His Word, that understanding what Jesus did for us and realizing and recognizing our own worth and our own value is absolutely critical to this process. So by your asking and talking about God, that already says to them, wow, you think God is important. It may be that they don't have any relationship with God. And then what we can do in finding out about that is begin to formulate a plan. Okay? Formulate a plan. And we say, you know, Tom, how much we got? Oh, oh I see it right there. <laughs> Bigger than Dallas right there. Okay. So uh, formulate a plan. In other words, after you're hearing all this and maybe even asking them if they've gone through something or if they're getting help or whatever, is say, well, let me, uh, I think we maybe need to go talk to one of the elders or one of the preachers or the youth minister or maybe some, your parent, get them involved. Maybe that's part of the plan. Another part of the plan is, hey, would you come with me to church next Sunday? Would you be in Bible class with me? Um, uh, have you gone to see anybody that you know who specializes in these things? And you're, you're sitting down, you're kind of working through them uh, and helping them to say, well, what, what are we going to do from here? So we don't just listen, but now what are we going to do? We're going to reach out to somebody for help, and uh, maybe you and I can study together on a weekly basis. Maybe, uh, I'll tell you what, how would you feel about our maybe sharing a scripture every day by texting that to each other? Do you know that I have a a gentleman that uh, was actually a guy that performed CPR on me back in November, and I died in the middle of the church. Well, I guess officially died, but my heart stopped in the middle of the church. Uh, now, every day, you know what he does? He sends me, I, every morning, he's on a different time zone. I wish he'd get on a different time zone. Me. He sends it to me, 5 a.m. I get this text, wakes me up, and there's a scripture. He's an electrician back in Goodwin Springs. And what can he do to help encourage old John Moore, especially in those first few months when I was trying to sort all this out? It was a text that said, this guy cares about me, and it's a scripture that is encouraging me, and he thinks spiritual things are important. Every day I still get that. You don't think that encourages me? Absolutely does. You guys can do the same thing. It's amazing. That's part of the plan that maybe you're going to formulate. And then, of course, we're going to spend some time praying with them. We're going to spend some time praying. Prayer is so powerful. And by you leading them in that prayer, it is saying to that person, I recognize a higher power that is outside of us that we need that can help us. We are saying that we are, in fact, flawed and in need of help ourselves and that we're going to appeal to a power greater than ourselves, the Almighty God. And there's such strength and such power that comes from God. So here are some things that you can do. Be a part of us. When they ask for help, here's what you need to be thinking about, okay? What's in this, this session of prayer together? 
Father, thank you so much for these young people. And I pray for them, dear God, that you will help them to see the power that they have of influence, the encouragement that they can give to other people. And God, so very true today, the encouragement that they've given to me. I'm just being here, listening and participating and offering their own thoughts and God being willing to want to help others. I pray that you'll bless them, that you'll help them to see your power and your mercy and your grace, that you'll help them to see, Father, just how much you love them and care about them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.